The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. What is going on, my beautiful people? This is Alex Alcazaz, a.k.a. The Bear of Texas, and this is Into the Net FC. Let me welcome back my good friend and mentor, Steve Adams. Steve, are you ready to go? Rock and roll. We're all set. Uh, So many talking points with this tournament. Let's get to it. Yeah, unfortunately, our national teams, prospectively, outside the U.S. are not in. But it's now down to Italy versus England, and quite frankly, it's really been a good tournament. I will say that. In my lifetime, and I mean, I've been able to watch pretty much every Euro since 1980, and um, yeah, I was a little dubious about this whole thing with 24 teams at the Euros. I thought it was going to be too many teams, and um, a lot of really good open play in this tournament, um, the only zero to zero game that I could think of was the Scotland England game. And it wasn't a snoozer. It's just nobody scored in that game. There were plenty of chances to score for both teams, but, uh, you know, a lot of drama and, uh, just some, some really excellent play throughout. So, uh, I've been very, very happy with this tournament. I mean, I've been, you know, as a, in a sports writing perspective, we would talk about these good stories. I've been satisfied as well. So, but now we're down to Italy versus England. And, you know, at, at this point, you know, I have nothing but praise for the Danish national team. After what they went through in their opening game, you know, literally losing two games and still making it out and then making it to the final four. I mean, th- there's nothing there's nothing for this team to be ashamed of. Absolutely not. They should be proud of themselves, if anything. It's never happened before where a team lost their first two games in group and then not only made it out of their group, but then to make it to the semifinals, and then the, the, the quality of the play. I mean, really, starting with that very important uh, 4-1 win against the Russians in their last group play game, I mean, the Danes just caught lightning in a jar, and they just played really good ball. They gave England all they could handle today, uh, Damsgaard, with a 35-yard direct kick, first direct kick goal of this competition, by the way, um, and also the youngest scorer of a direct kick since one Cristiano Ronaldo, um, I want to say 2004. It had to be 2004, yeah. So just a 
just just a fantastic game. Uh, the Danes really took the game. They were sort of bossing the English in midfield for really well over the first half of the first half. And then um, England, they scored just before halftime. Uh, Sterling Cross gets turned in the goal by Kerr. Um, England peppered Schmeichel the entire game. Uh, Schmeichel came up huge. Uh, made some really, really fantastic saves during the game. And if this game had gone down to penalty kicks, if it had still stayed tied after overtime, I think Denmark would have taken this one had it had it gone to overtime. Uh, England definitely, uh, after those first 25 minutes or so of the first half, England pretty much dominated the rest of the game, dominated possession, shots on goal, and really good quality chances. But they certainly had their chances, too. Uh, great atmosphere, 60,000 fans at Wembley. About 8,000 Danish fans added uh, to a really festive uh, operation. Uh, the only thing that was really too bad was the large number of English fans that were whistling and booing uh, the Danish national anthem. So, um, unfortunately, with the English fans, you really don't have to dig real deep to get into that little xenophobic stripe um, that they have. It's really, it's really unfortunate because you know, but. Yeah, exactly. Because you're right. Because you know all, all the things they do. You know the, the like they said the xenophobia, the racism, you know the hooliganism. It's just a horrible reputation on the unique game of soccer. And I mean England. You know this was actually the first time in this tournament they actually had conceded a goal. And and man, Casper Schmeichel to say that he was just so overwhelmed will be an understatement. But that dude, much like his dad back in 1992, really showed no fear. Folk that like, did his best and. I mean, the, when he saved Harry Kane's penalty, and then uh, the unfortunate part, he, he couldn't hold on to it, and Harry Kane took advantage of it, but... Yeah, well, yeah. that's that's a whole talking point as well. The penalty, I thought, was... To say it was a soft penalty, I think, was a really... A, it, it's an understatement. That was an extremely soft penalty to give. It really uh, was, yeah. I think, I think it was really minimal contact. I think Sterling milked it for all it was worth. And... And it's too bad in a way because Sterling otherwise had such a fantastic game. I mean, he was out there running like a greyhound. And uh, he was a threat almost every time he had the ball. But uh, it's unfortunate that the game ends up being decided on what I felt, quite frankly, was a dubious penalty. Uh, and Schmeichel saves the penalty. But, you know, credit to Harry Kane. He kept his composure. He followed up on the ball. There was just enough of a rebound, and Kane was able to tap in the rebound for what proved to be the winning goal for England. Like I said, it's just so unfortunate, and and I was actually I'm actually glad how you brought it up because I really felt like the penalty totally was absolutely soft, and and of course, I mean the fact that like you just said, I mean everybody's all is all over killing Mbappe for for diving uh, when France got that uh, bogus penalty against Portugal. But in that case, I mean, hey, Portugal's penalty was bogus as well because Lloris went after the ball. But, I mean, of, of course, English fans are happy about it. I'm sure all the Manchester City fans are proud. They're all going to say, yeah, Sterling was fouled. But from where I saw it, like, yeah, I don't think Sterling was tripped. I mean, I, I don't, th I don't, th I think he just went down. I think he, he really, uh, he really took it to downtown and the, and the referee totally was sold on it. 
It's really interesting when you read, you know, the BBC coverage of it. I could guarantee you that if that had been a South American player who had gone down and had been rewarded a penalty in that situation, the English press would have been just all over it. Um, and I've read, you know, several different articles from, you know, British sources, and not a one of them mentions, you know, you know, even makes hint of the fact that it was a really, really soft penalty. So, um, so yeah, even the BBC, um, who's supposed to be famous for their neutral coverage, but when it comes to the English national team, not so much. You could say the same thing about the French media, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the but the thing is, the British like to think that they're above uh, chauvinism and being homers and all that. You know, they they think that that's more of a, a Latin phenomenon. And you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, the English are really no better than than anybody else at that. But uh, it's still, you know, it doesn't take away from the fact, extremely entertaining game, a lot of drama, uh, great play. And, um, you know, now uh, Gareth Southgate, the English coach, he gets to try to brainstorm how he's going to go about going against the formidable Italians. I mean, for England, the first final since 1966. <laughs> Last time they were in a final, you were just a little kid. Well, and that final was the World Cup. This is England's first time in a Euro final. Their best finish ever in the Euros before was in 1968 when they took third when they beat the Soviet Union for third place. Uh, I'm glad that in the Euros they have now gotten rid of the third place game. I've always hated that, the fact that you know, for teams that make such a deep run into the tournament, making the semifinals is a great accomplishment. And then you lose the semifinals, and then you've got to come back for the third-place game. I would love to see the World Cup get rid of the third-place game, but, you know, organizers want to make a buck, and it's their chance to, you know, they can get another 50,000, 60,000 people that'll come watch the third-place game. It gives coaches a chance to empty their bench, and it allows players who haven't had a chance to play in the tournament uh, an opportunity to play. I mean, that's the only good thing I can say about a third-place game. But I'm glad that these Euros, that they're not going to have uh, a third-place game. That, uh, you know, Denmark, they, Denmark and the Spaniards, they could both hold their heads up high for having had a really good tournament. And... Um, you know, they played really, 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 really well. So, um, you know, on to the final on Sunday. And, and speaking of the Spaniards, I mean, you know, you know, I'm really worried, you know, for uh, for Alvaro Morata. I mean, all the – because it was – because early in the tournament, he was getting death threats, you know, hateful messages. And I feel like because, you know, because, you know, he did equalize for Spain, but, you know, he missed his penalty in the shootout. And, you know, and I feel like, you know, and, and I kid you not, I mean, I saw the stuff that people were throwing at Kylian Mbappe. I mean, you just, I mean, it would literally make you sick to your stomach. And, and uh, you know, the problem is, you know, people are just so brave, aren't they? They're so brave hiding behind a computer screen, putting out disgusting things. But the one thing I would like to remind them is you do know once you post it on social media, buddy, it's not going to go away. That thing could, could actually, I mean, employers can look at that stuff, so... So for those of you out there that like to uh, put racial abuse on uh, social media, you might want to heed my warning. You might want to think again. 
Well, it's just awful. And um, Spain played such lovely football in this entire tournament. And, you know, frankly, in a lot of ways, they, they outplayed the formidable Italians in the semifinals. Uh, the Spaniards had possession. They had more shots on goal. They had more shots. They had more shots on goal compared to the Italians. Now, that said, the Italians, there, there are certain things in life that I never thought I would hear myself say. Like, I would never say that I look great in a Speedo. Um, I, would never, <laughs> I, would, I would never say that I enjoy Tuna Helper. I never thought that I would ever hear myself say that I really enjoy watching the Italian national team play soccer. Because for me, the Italians, for so long, they were synonymous with Catanaccio and very, you know, vice-like defense, um, very territorial, parking the bus, you know, getting the one goal and then clinging on to a one-goal lead. Uh, Roberto Mancini's men, this is not the Azuri of old. This really is a fun team to watch play. I really love watching this Italian squad play. They've been uh, fantastic on the tournament. When they break, they break with such amazing pace. And the thing that really struck me in the semifinal against the Spaniards was the game was played, even in the overtime, even going into the 120th minute, it was just pinball soccer. It was played at such an unbelievably high pace by both teams. I mean, there was like uh, such heavy pressing and nobody was really getting a chance to settle on a ball. And when either team had a chance to break, you know, they broke with numbers and with uh, just amazing speed. Absolutely. I mean, this Italian team is a team that I can respect because I've noticed the behavior of the players. So, like, you're not seeing, like, the original, like, the trash-talking, the arrogant behavior. I mean, you see these Italian players, you know, be professional, really liking the game, respecting their opponents. I mean, just really playing at a, at a level we have not seen before. So this is an Italian team, actually, I don't mind cheering for. I respect it because this is well, a new very- generation. And like you said, they're not parking the bus like the traditional play style. You know, they're playing, you know, attempting to score some goals. I mean, they're trying to make a difference now. I think they're just trying to show that... We want to play a new. We want to modernize the game of football because the game revolutionizes to new uh, to new ways, and, and they're getting on it. They really reflect their coach, Roberto Mancini. Roberto Mancini, he was extremely classy as a player. Uh, he was extremely classy when he was coaching Manchester City. Uh, coached them the Premier League title back in 2012, and. Uh, it's just it's it's really a team that uh, I can actually embrace and I can actually root for this team, and uh, and again this is something that I never really felt myself doing for any Italian squad. Um, so uh, it'll it's it's really I think the final that a lot of people wanted to see, um, England. Uh, who had shown so much promise, make it to the semifinals in the last World Cup. Uh, this is this English team is legit as far as with the talent that they possess. And um, I know a lot of people still feel like they really, really haven't seen the very, very best of England yet in this tournament. 
but uh, this final on Sunday will just really be uh, fascinating. And then the other thing, too, England also has had the benefit of playing several games at home at Wembley. Uh, they were the home team today uh, against Denmark, and then the final will also be at Wembley. So uh, England does have that advantage of playing at home which is not an inconsequential thing. But uh, but I think given how much trouble they had with uh, the Danes today and breaking them down and finally winning, uh, this Italian squad may be a whole different matter in the final. And uh, I, for one, I'm really, really looking forward to Sunday. I really am. And, you know, and the fact that this Italian team, the way it plays, because, you know, I was watch, you know, watching the, the game with Spain, you know, watching it in my usual place, uh, the pub, and... Watching with some with a very very nice you know Italian family, I told him, you know I'm you know I, you know they didn't seem to have a problem with me being a supporter of France, and I told them how I am, and they said, well you're loyal, you're a national team, and we respect that, and you know you know and you know they were nice enough not to mention 2006, but then of course one of them decides to, and 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 I said, look, I don't have a problem that the fact that you that that, that Italy won, it's just my problem. Is, well, I mean I told him the whole story is that this particular dude disrespected my hero, and I will not forgive him for it, but. But 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 the, the guy says yeah. But you think of that guy. I mean, you know, he's really a nobody. So you know, I don't worry about it. Zidane is the legend compared to that guy. So you, so those guys really, they really did their best to try to come for me and make me not really think about it. But I told them, look, I love. I'm at a point where now it's I'm more in the objective side because you know it's part of my job. But you know, you know, and they were so nice off. They all pull out their phones. They subscribe to the show. So I'm, so hopefully they'll be listening. So I appreciate you, you guys, and hopefully to see you guys in the pub again. But. But I had to explain to them, look, I'm not really rooting for anybody in this final. I, all I want is a good game, really, because it's a, it gives me a story, you know. But now from a fan side, you you want to see a team end it quickly. But, you know, in my perspective is I really don't think this game, I don't think 90 minutes is going to be enough. I don't even think 120 minutes is going to be enough. Wouldn't surprise me if this one goes down to, to penalties. Would not surprise me at all. Um I'm curious as far as what little tweakings the the managers are, are going to do. I mean, to me, if I'm Gareth Southgate, I for the life of me, I don't know why he doesn't put Jack Grealish on earlier. For that matter, start Jack Grealish because every time he's out there with an English jersey on, he looks lively. He makes things happen. Um, you know, every game that he's come off the bench – for England, he just really injects life into that team. Um, no question, though, for England, as far as I'm concerned, Raheem Sterling, he's been the player of the tournament so far. Uh, I mean, a lot of people coming into this were thinking Harry Kane was going to be their main man. But to be honest with you, with the amount of ground that Raheem Sterling covers and just what a threat he just seems to be, uh, with ball, he can draw defenders in, open people up. I mean, Sterling essentially set up uh, that goal. I, I, I think this is one of those Euros where I think they need to rethink this whole thing with the uh, own goal because I think sometimes uh, it's not so much a defensive cock-up that, that causes it. Uh, it really wasn't Kerr's fault that the ball went into his own net. I mean, it was just 
a case of Sterling putting a really good cross into the goal area that deflected off the Danish de- defender and passed Schmeichel into the into the net. But uh, but Sterling has just been phenomenal for England this entire tournament. You know, you're absolutely, and I'm glad you brought up the fact that Southgate is not starting Graylish. I mean, and you, you prove the point, like, because every time Graylish comes on, you know, something happens. Like, England comes to life. But now that we get to the point they're in the final, imagine if Graylish does start, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I'm like, so the whole part is it's a bad omen. You finally start, and it doesn't work out. But, you know, for Southgate, I mean, see, all the, a lot of the English supporters that I speak to, I mean, the problem they say with uh, Garrett Southgate is just the, the formations he puts, you know, always has you scratching your head because you don't know if it's going to work out or not. But, you know, it, it, it's tough because England, much like France, you know, a team, you know, loaded with talent, but always always known to never have the mental focus to get the job done. But but Eng- England's case is, you know, they got to find it now because this final takes place at Wembley Stadium. It would be humiliating if not to win the final in their home country. Yeah. I mean, there's almost, you know, it's, it's almost a two edged sword. I mean, yeah, there's something to be said about, you know, sleeping in your own bed and, you know, being your own country and all that. Um, but there's also, you know, the weight of the entire country is on you as well. And, uh, England has not won a major tournament since the world cup in 1966 I've never been to a Euro final. Um, I think, you know, is this the tournament where in some ways England gets some 800-pound uh, gorillas off their back? Uh, beating Germany in the quarterfinals, uh, beating Germany in a knockout match in a major tournament, that was a huge step for the English. Getting past the semifinal, that was a huge thing for the English today. So now that they're in the final, um, would the weight and the expectations of the country be so much, you know, that it kind of gets into their head on Sunday? I don't know, but uh, but all I know is I think for for a lot of neutrals, I think this is really I think a game that a lot of people wanted to see. Italy's back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, from that conversation with with, with that Italian family, you know. The father explained to me that he believes that Italy's failure to qualify in the World Cup, in his view, is a punishment for all the years of bad behavior, arrogance, and dirty and dirty play. I mean, I don't want to say Italy had been playing dirty. I mean, a lot of people say they have a history of doing that, but for me, I can't say that for sure. I mean, like, and I don't know. I mean, it's an opinion. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but he, he really believes that it was a punishment for so many years of arrogance and really taking, you know, not taking the game seriously. I'm like, and I said, well, you, you maybe you're right. I mean... But because, because like I said, this the the behavior of this team is you know it's a team I don't think we've seen it before like you know respectful, you know they really respect their opponents so you know like I said I mean the fact that they're well behaved is that's a, an Italian team I can totally respect. Well, sometimes you can take adversity and failure and you can turn it to your advantage, and I I think France did something similar when they didn't make the World Cup in 1994 after they crashed out in their last two matches with uh, with Israel and Bulgaria. And this was a team that had Cantonan, Ginola, and was just really loaded with talent and didn't make it. And out of the ashes of that, you know, Aimé Jacquet was hired. And uh, that sort of became the genesis of that team that ended up winning the World Cup for France in 98. I think Italy not making the World Cup in Russia... I think 
the Italian Federation pretty much blew things up. Uh, they started from scratch, and I think they developed some young talent. Uh, they were getting some great play from their uh, Italian uh, under-23 players, and a lot of those players have now ended up in the senior squad. So, um, you know, I think I think this was just a case of Roberto Mancini um, really just turning things around after after the failure of not qualifying for Russia in 2018. Yeah, absolutely, I mean that that's what you got to do. And, and I told them, well, that's what France needs to do because France is going to continue the World Cup qualifiers later. I mean, France can't allow what happened to them 20 years ago. They can't let it happen again, especially when you have a team more talented than it's ever been. So Didier Deschamps is really – we'll get to – we'll have a discussion by the national team. But, yeah, France needs to kind of take an approach, like literally start from scratch because, you know, you're, you're about to defend the title. And it would be humiliating to, to, you know, to crash out of, out of the World Cup like that. But in any case, um, going to the final, as far as, far as picks go, since England's going to play at Wembley, I, I feel like England's probably going to win. But, like I said, the big prediction for me is – this game, it's not gonna. 120 minutes is not gonna settle the day game. You, you can take my word on that. I think Italy takes it. I, I, I really, really believe in this Italian squad, and uh, I think they're they're all on the same page. They're they're in it to win it, and um, it, it's just gonna be a real interesting contrast on on Sunday, to be sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. But, you know, if wh- whoever wins, I mean, you know, if Italy wins, they deserve it. Because, like I said, they've been playing great, love the behavior. I mean, this is a new Asuri. This is an Asuri we, we hadn't seen before. No, no question. Yeah. So, anyway, so we wrap up the Euro final. So, let's get to the Gold Cup. And, you know, the first thing that's interesting about the Gold Cup, let me ask you, have you seen this, the, the, the American squad that's going to compete in this tournament? Well, I mean, let's face it. For all practical purposes, this is a B team. Um, yeah. <laughs> most of the, most of the, you know, the big time studs, uh, Pulisic, McKinney, uh, they're not going to be playing. And to be really honest with you, the Gold Cup really, I just don't think it's that terribly important. Mexico is taking it very seriously. I think after losing that final in the Nations Cup the, uh, a few weeks back. Uh, Mexico is taking it very seriously, but I think the important thing for the United States is not the Gold Cup. I mean, yeah, Super Trophy, awesome, but uh, the bigger issue is when they start the World Cup qualifiers. Qualifying for the World Cup is the most important thing. Uh, It's important for the U.S. to get its best players healthy and strong for the, the arduous task of getting through the CONCACAF qualifiers, you know, when you're playing in um, some, in some cases, some really dodgy, substandard pitches um, with fans that are throwing all kinds of stuff at you on the field, um, all kinds of missiles and verbal abuse and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's, it's really a marathon. So I think if it's a chance for Greg Berhalter to find out about some of his other players. It's a good opportunity to vet them, get a chance to see them play. But to exactly. but to be really but to be really, really honest with you, I think it's a way more important in the long haul for, you know, the really top notch US players like Pulisic, like McKinney, 
uh, like Gio Reyna, it's way more important for these guys to get healthy. I mean, they've had a long freaking season. I mean, these guys play so many games now. And you you got to have a certain amount of rest. You've got to let your body recuperate. And, uh, you know, the, the club seasons are going to start next month already for a, a lot of the different leagues in Europe. So... Um, so anyway, but yeah, I've, I've I've seen the rosters for for the Gold Cup for the, for the U.S. and um, again, my my opinion of it is if if they make a deep run or even win it, yeah, so that's fine, it's okay. But the the most important thing to not lose sight of is qualifying for the World Cup, getting the cutter next year. That's what's important. See exactly, and what you just said, you justify what I said on the episode because I released an episode on the roster and. And I explained, look, it's it's really not a bad thing that the big names are not on it because we're going to need them for the World Cup qualifiers. And like you said, it's, it's a B team. So this is the opportunity to give the other players more experience because, because you know, like you said, the important thing is, is to get to Qatar next year. But the, import, the most important thing out of everything is by 2026 when the United States is one of the three hosts of the tournament, the United States needs to have a full-fledged, a full-strength and well-experienced team and they have the potential to do it. And if they do it, they could actually be a favorite to win the title. Yeah, no doubt. But, you know, clearly with this roster, yeah, I think you'd have to say that Mexico is the favorite going in. And like you said, you know, they're taking it seriously. And they're already pretty, they're, you know, they're still humiliated and fumed that, you know, they lost to the U.S. in the uh, Nations League final. And it kind of seems like the Gold Cup is like, it's probably the only thing that the national team is able to win because. They never really have good luck in the World Cup. I mean, they do good in the group stage, and then they just choke out in the round of sixteen. So, so you got to so, so so in their pride is the Gold Cup is kind of like what they what they really earned to win. But you know, it's a it's a title. So anyway, I mean, but you know, I will be watching regardless because you know this is the chance to scout out the younger players and thinking like this dude, you know, could make the cut. So. Yeah, but yeah, I'm more excited for the World Cup qualifiers, and I believe yeah, the World Cup qualifiers. Uh, they'll play their first game. I believe it's in September. I think they'll play. Uh, they play Canada in their first game. Yeah, well, and uh, yeah, they'll be playing that in Nashville. They announced that Nashville will be hosting that match, and with the Gold Cup too, Canada's in the same group as the U.S. Now, I haven't heard if uh, Davies and. Um, God, I've drawn a blank on it, on his name, the striker for uh, for Lille. But anyway, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. You know, are those guys going to be playing for Canada? You know, because those guys are the real deal. Those guys do have uh, some serious game. So I don't know if they're going to be playing for Canada in the tournament or not. I haven't I haven't checked that out yet. Yeah, I'll follow Davies. He he is on the squad for the Gold Cup. Okay, so that'll make that'll that'll be very interesting when Canada plays the U.S. Uh, in the Gold Cup, and then also um, when they play, you know, in real live World Cup qualifying here, pretty quick. Yeah, it'll certainly be good. I, as far as the, the Gold Cup, the, the, that's the first game. It's also going to be on Sunday. It's actually going to be an evening game. They play Haiti. But uh, but as, as far oh and just you know uh, the player that plays for Lille uh, I don't see I don't see him on the I don't see him on the squad for the Gold Cup so he's probably he's, they're probably doing the same thing for him dude plays in Europe they're gonna need him for the qualifiers so they're probably taking a precaution and they're resting him 
Yeah, no, I think that would be a wise move for Canada to do that. Yeah, it would be because, well, you know, it's been a Canada. You know, a lot of people don't know. No, Canada actually did go to the World Cup one time. They did in 1986. They almost beat France in the group stage. Yeah, they gave France all kinds of problems. Uh, that was the World Cup in um, Mexico. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, that's, that's the first and only time the Canucks made it to a World Cup. And, uh, you know, uh, they're they're vastly improving, you know. So um, and, and it'll be really interesting, um, you know. I mean, the more the merrier the region. I mean, if you can get more quality opponents in Kokakov, it's it's better for the region. And and I think on a bigger thing, I mean, one of the things that I personally would love to see, instead of having you know a Gold Cup and a Copa America. I frankly would rather see a competition where it's like the entire Americas uh, are doing it, you know, and, and do this as a proper tournament. I mean, the Copa America this year, I mean, you got all these preliminary round games you played just to eliminate two teams and create, you know, eight quarterfinalists. I think, you know, get, you know, the top teams from CONCACAF in with, the very best from South America make a, to, a true tournament of the Americas. Now that would be a much more interesting tournament, I think. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, who really wants to see the United States or Mexico beat up on Martinique or Guadalupe, you know, or Guatemala or El Salvador? Who wants to see that? But to see the U.S. or Mexico play Argentina, Uruguay. Colombia, those would be much more interesting matches. Those would do a lot more for the development of the game. I think it would create a lot more interest. I think those would be much more interesting games uh, to watch than than some of these other ones. Yeah, you know, one of my followers actually wanted me to talk about this because he actually asked me because apparently today, uh, well. I, I woke up to the news that apparently the, the Haitian uh, the Haitian president was assassinated and uh, he asked me if, if I if I believe that the national team because the the US plays Haiti on Sunday if, if the national if the Haitian national team is affected by it, and I said and I believe uh, I mean I don't I don't know I mean maybe it does maybe it doesn't because how, how could it not affect you how, how could it not affect you you know it's the the president of your country. Of course it's going to affect you if if he gets killed. You know, people are going to have, in a place like Haiti, which has had just such a long, complicated, and incred- incredibly tragic history, um, you know, this is just uh, another tragic chapter. Um, it has to surely affect these players. I mean, you're worried about the stability of your country. I mean, you know, you lose the president power vacuum i mean you know it's it's stuff that's way way beyond soccer and um you know i i'm sure that the haitian national team players minds are probably on anything other than soccer at this point after the events of yesterday i mean it's it's really unfortunate because you know even for the usb team you know like like you said playing all these national teams that really don't have much success although in haiti's case Believe it or not, folks, Haiti actually did go to the World Cup one time. I believe it was in 74. It's true. Yeah. Yep. That was 
uh, that was kind of an interesting World Cup because you had um, what was then called Zaire, now the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, they qualified for their first and only World Cup. Israel qualified for the World Cup in 74. You know, and then Haiti was in that World Cup as well. So, um, And this was back in the era, when you think about it, when there was only 16 teams that were making the World Cup. And um, none, of those, none of those three teams have really even come close to qualifying for a World Cup since then. Really a shame, but but answer the question for Haiti. Like you know, since Steve, you just basically answered. I mean, it it does definitely has to affect them, but you know, because like like Steve just said, you know, Haiti, you know, so many problems in the country. I mean, ever since you know getting their independence from France, uh, it's it's really been a problem, and you know, because you know, I've known a couple of people, you know, who are of Haitian. I went to school with a dude, you know, whose family's from Haiti, and he was a really cool guy, and. You know, it's just, the same situations like me. His parents really wanted him to go visit Haiti one day, but just like my parents really want me to go to Syria one day, you know, it, it's almost impossible for us to do it because of the, uh, the all the political situations, the corruptions, the violence going on in, the, in those countries. So it is it is really tough, it, it, and you know, it, it does affect us in a way. Like you know, when our uh, ancestral nations kind of have those kinds of things, it really does affect us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some things some things are just. You know, the bottom line, there's just some things that are just bigger than sport. Exactly. But, you know, regardless, I, I wish the Haitian national team the best and good luck to them this Sunday against the United States. And I'll be watching the Gold Cup. So anyway, the last part of, about this was really, you know, and I did an episode on what now for l'équipe de France. And, you know, I mean, to say that I blew off steam, that I really let the frustrations out. I mean, I, I had to let out of the system, but... You know, as most of it's probably out, you know, a lot of it is still built up, but but the fret, the future of the team is pretty freaking blank right now. Well, boy, there's a lot to go over on that. Um, clearly, very very disappointing tournament for the French. I wouldn't say it's as quite as bad of a flameout as the 2002 World Cup. Uh, in Japan and South Korea, where they got beat by Senegal. Um, to be fair, Senegal ended up making a magical run to the quarterfinals in that tournament. Uh, 2010, uh, major dissension, Palace coup, Nicolas Anelka gets his butt booted back to France, um, lose, lose to Mexico, didn't even make it out of the group. And this was a team that, you know, had plenty of talent. They had been runners-up in the previous World Cup in 2006. Now, this tournament, on the positive end, France did win their group. But uh, they didn't do it terribly convincingly. Um, Benzema was clearly France's best player. He He was one player who did not disappoint during it. But as a unit, uh, they never they never really gelled. Um, they were up three to one against Switzerland. Coughed up two goals in fifteen minutes, and uh, losing that game on penalties. But Mbappe gets his penalty attempt saved by Sommer. Um, but in the post mortem of all this, I mean, just the amount of bitching and infighting and. Uh, Rabio's uh, mom getting into kind of a pissing war with Mbappe's dad 
And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking about your soccer team, infighting among the parents of the players should not be part of the news cycle. It just shouldn't. You know, the parents, you know, they need to bite their lips, stay away from the press, and, you know, let their kids do the talking on the field. So that whole thing, um, don't know if Deschamps is going to have Rabio back. Uh, you know, quite frankly, he had an extremely mediocre tournament for France anyway. And uh, if you're going to have a guy on your team that's going to be playing in a very mediocre fashion and whose mom is just basically a loose cannon causing problems, who needs it? Uh, Deschamps certainly doesn't. The good news for Deschamps is that the nucleus of this team is still fairly young. Uh, they can they can still turn things around, and they can still have a really really good tournament and cutter next year for the World Cup. But uh, but I think Deschamps going to have to you know really make a few things clear. I think that there's some players that are going to need to try to talk through and sort things out. But uh, you know I don't think it's totally time to to push the panic button. I mean, the the talent is there. And, I mean, you think about it, Kamavinga wasn't even named to the squad. And, you know, this this kid from Wren is is just such a talent, which, which tells you just how good France is when, you know, almost any other team in this tournament, Kamavinga would have been probably not only part of the squad, but probably would have been a starter on oh, quite totally. a few. So, um so I think I, th I still think France still has a very very bright future. I think, um, like I said, I I think Deschamps is going to have to go into drill sergeant mode and um, you know be the leader that he is as the national team head coach. And I think he has to really set some things straight as far as in the locker room. And if you've got any personalities that are a problem. I think you need to get rid of them. And I think the other thing, too, with the French flameout at this particular Euro tournament, I think it also highlights, you know, sometimes people will say, well, of course this team won. Look at all, the, all this talent that they had. How could they not win? Well, this French side was exhibit A of how it's not an easy thing to manage uh, egos and big personalities. They may have all kinds of talent, but you know, if you can't get all of this talent on the same page and, and develop a true team concept, you're going to have problems. So Deshaun clearly has a lot of work to do with the World Cup qualifiers coming around pretty quick. You know, absolutely. I mean, you're basically confirming, you know, some of the things I've said, you know, you know, I said basically, look, because there were players that were apparently that they cut, that some of them had cussed each other out, they had gotten each other's faces. So I said, you know, I'll tell you what, get a vacation and then blow off the steam, okay? Start your season at the club, play good, and then you guys, you know, get called up, then, you know, make amends, get back on the same page. I mean, I literally told the players to grow the fuck up. I mean, sorry for the language, but seriously, but the way the shit has been going, went down with, you know, being arrogant, you know, being like that, you know, the ego. Seriously, grow the grow the f up. And I had to make this clear on Kylian Mbappe because there was that story about with him and Giroud apparently having a rift. 
So you know, my advice to Mbappe is this, like, you know what? Don't worry about what Giroud supposedly said. I mean, who the hell cares? It's an opinion. Everybody has one, okay? You know, focus on yourself. Like, you know, who the hell cares, like, what Giroud said about you? Like, my, my advice is if somebody has a press conference and they complain about you, you know what? If, if you want to make a statement, do it on the pitch. Like, don't cry about it. Don't get mad about it and tell Deshaun that you want to go to the press and, you know, and give your, your thoughts on it. Like, like, who cares? I mean, people are going to talk about you. You're killing Mbappe. You're a popular name. You're a big name. Of, of course people are going to talk about you. But but as far as Rabiot goes, I think you're right. I don't, I don't think he will be called up because, you know, it's not just his mom. But the, uh, from what I understand is his behavior, too, was a problem that he increased when but it heads, especially that game against Germany when Rabiot should have passed the ball to Griezmann, who would have scored. He didn't freaking do it. He took the tried to take the goal for himself. It didn't work out. I mean... I mean, I think you you remember that play, right? When he could have, he had a clear pass, and he didn't, and he, he didn't fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. That was, and uh, you know, Griezmann also, you know, after you know, very challenging year with Barcelona, um, Griezmann kind of turned things around in the second half of the year uh, with Barcelona, but then also with the French national team. I thought Griezmann had, I thought he had a pretty damn solid tournament for Didier Deschamps. I mean, Griezmann, Benzema, uh, Giroud. I mean, Giroud, obviously, unfortunately for him, you know, the limited playing time. I mean, those guys are definitely going to be back. I mean, there's no doubt about it. All three of these guys, when France qualifies, they will be in Qatar. There's no absolutely no, no doubt in my mind. And, you know, and, and I'm sorry I'm kind of letting out the foul language. I'm kind of doing what I did in the last episode. But, you know, because I, I, I spoke to my mom about it, and I said I've— and I said, you know, I kind of do feel bad for Rabiot that, you know, because it's, it's got to be humiliating for him that his mom did that. But then I thought, well, you know what? That thing with Griezmann, how he didn't pass it, if he was behaving poorly too, maybe I shouldn't feel bad for him. Yeah, I mean, it's too bad. Although, I, I'm probably going to disagree with you on the point. I don't think Giroud is going to be around for Cutter next year. I think I think there's going to be other, other options that he's going to go with. I mean, Giroud is hardly even playing, you know, club ball. He's hardly seeing the field at all with Chelsea at this point. So um, if you're hardly playing with your club team, you know, it's kind of tough to rationalize, um, you know, getting getting time with the senior national team. I mean, especially with what a fantastic tournament Benzema had. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, I, you're, you're probably right. I mean, it, it's a shame, too, because I love Giroud. I've been a fan of him since 2011, since, you know, his uh, since winning the title with Toulouse. I've been through him, we you know, with you Arsenal. With, with Montpellier. Oh, I'm sorry, with Montpellier. Sorry. But but you're probably right. But but still, I, I'm still not going to say Giroud is a damn, is a damn go-car. You know, Benzema is the Formula 1. I'm not going to get in that drama because, you know what, look, you can say whatever you want about Giroud, but Giroud won the title for his country. You know, he's a world champ. And uh, at the end of the day, too, France is still defending world champs. They're still loaded. Uh, going into Qatar next year, they would certainly have to be one of the favorites. Although right now, I think uh, Brazil over in South America, I think you have to look at how they've played in the Copa America. And, um, I mean, they're still going to have to get by Argentina in the Copa America final on Saturday. But uh, but it's going to be intriguing, um, you know, for the World Cup next year, and um, and Qatar being really a, a truly neutral venue, 
you know, not in Europe, not in South America. Uh, so it'll it'll be really interesting. But you know, France will still be considered one of the favorites next year. Yeah, yeah, totally. I have no doubt France can definitely make it as far as the semifinals. I mean, I would love for them to win it again, but I mean, it could happen. But you know, they have to get like they, like I said, get the damn act together and grow the f up. That's it. Yeah, you know, but you know, and, you know, I have no doubt. You know, I'm sure that they're they're gonna be fine. You know, just you know. All the game that they've been playing, you know, what they've been going through. I'm sure, you know, take some vacations, you know, start your uh, domestic play and, you know, regain regain your confidence and then you know, and, and then everything is going to be okay. So, and as we wrap this up, you know, and, and we got to talk a little bit about transfers because you mentioned uh, Kamavinga. I mean, Kamavinga, now all of a sudden he he's close to possibly going to uh, Manchester United. And not surprisingly, Paris Saint-Germain is obviously uh, heavily linked as well because, you know, they can have whoever they want. But in my honest opinion, Steve, you know why I believe it's better if he goes to Old Trafford than he, than Paris? Why do you feel? Well, number one, because the Premier League has the better competition. And I feel like an 18-year-old player like him, if he goes to Old Trafford, he gets significant playing time. He improves. He gains confidence. He gets, he gets more and more mature. That's going to help him big time. I feel like he's better off going there than Paris because with the league, uh, not with not the so heavy competition, if he has all the success... And he's not being challenged enough. That arrogance is is gonna is gonna take over his mind. That's why I'm praying every day. Mbappe needs out of Paris Saint Germain. Well, I keep waiting for that to, for that to happen too. Um, that's something that everybody has been talking about. Um, you know, Harry Kane. Everybody's been talking about Harry Kane. You know, is he gonna be be at Manchester City? Uh, there's one Lionel Messi who's a free agent. Right now, um, I haven't heard any word if uh, his old manager Pep Guardiola is going to call him up to to play with Man City or not. So you know, there's still a lot of question marks as far as on the on the transfer front. I think Kamavinga would be better served going to the EPL at his age, and I think with uh, at Old Trafford with some of the professionals that are there, I think it's I think it's potentially a, a very very good environment for him. I think. I think there's a lot to be said for for getting out of league on spreading his wings. I mean, the kid's clearly a talent. Oh yeah. I mean, look. I mean, exactly because, like I said, you know, and, and it's hard for me to say this, but you know, it, you know, and Nicholas, you know, and I don't know if you saw, but Nicholas Anelka actually said the same thing that he had. He wants Mbappe out of PSG. You know, it's not a surprise. Um, you know, Anelka. He, he certainly improved his game a great deal when he played um, when he left France to, to go play in uh, in England. And uh, if you get a chance, I forget it was on Netflix or Amazon Prime, but there was a really, really good documentary on Adelka that's I think it's uh, for, for any soccer fan, but particularly if you're a fan of the French game. And uh, he's a very, very divisive figure for a lot of people. I think it's a really good documentary to watch. Yeah, I, I remember the one you told me about. It. It's on Netflix, I believe, and, and I'll definitely watch it. But uh, but to wrap it up, yeah, I think Kamavinga is a whole lot better off going to Old Trafford than he is going to Paris. And But as far as Mbappe goes, he there's a going out reports is he has not, he's not wanting to renew his contract. He has turned down at least three different offers. 
But as far as I know is, I think he's going to finish out his deal and he's going to leave as a free agent. Well, I I still think for the development of Mbappe's game, I think he needs to get out of Liga. You know, whether whether it's going to be in La Liga in Spain or if he's going to be in uh, the EPL, I think either one will help with the development of his game. And, uh, you know, again, as a Liverpool fan, yeah, I would not complain at all to see him in a red Liverpool uh, jersey for sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I made this look. It's it, it's not important to me whether it's Real Madrid or Liverpool. I just want Mbappe to go where there's competition, where he can eliminate that egomaniacal, arrogant behavior. Is like, I mean, I hate to say this, but look, you you can't deny the fact that he's 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 got a bit of an ego and he has gotten arrogant. Some people blame that because he's under the influence of Neymar. I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I mean, I you I mean, that's just merely an opinion. I mean, Neymar obviously has the exaggeration of diving, and Mbappe has kind of built that reputation of diving as well. But but regardless, dude, he needs out of there. And, you know, if, Liverpool, if he goes to Liverpool, I will be the happiest, even though I grew up loving Man U. But at this point, remember, this is the sports writer's perspective speaking right now. It's about Mbappe. It's not about me wanting this guy to go to my team just because I want him there. I mean, he needs to go to a place where he's going to fit in. Well, and I mean, the thing is, too, uh, I think for most for most people, if you're 21, 22 years old and you've had the level of success that Mbappe has had, yeah, I think your head's probably going to get swollen a little bit. I think, um, you know, in some ways, who knows that saved penalty against against him in the Switzerland game. You know, who knows? It may bring him back down to earth a little bit, uh, might make him a little more humble, give him a little more, um, maybe a little more of a work ethic. Uh, maybe just be a better teammate. Yeah, exactly. And look, he's he's young. And look, I'll admit, I've we've all been to a point like you know we get in over our head, we get arrogant. So look, Mbappe. What I said in the episode, look, Mbappe just needs to learn from this. And the fact that he put a message, you know, under you know, that message he put on on his uh, Twitter, I believe it was, and then of course Pele giving him some advice. So I I think he he learn he learn he's learning from this. He understands that he need he's got better doing, and he and he's promised he's going to come back better. And and I believe he will. I really believe in him. Yeah, I think he will. Yeah, totally. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Into the Net FC is available to stream on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Steve, my friend, it's always an honor to have you on. I cannot wait to have you back. Great to be with you. Everybody have a good rest of your week, and we'll see you all after the final on Sunday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.